Welcome to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host. More people have gotten rich in this country from real estate than any other way, and today's guest is one of them. After seven years in the corporate consulting world, Gabe Peterson ventured out on his own and made his mark as a successful real estate investor. Gabe used his digital marketing expertise and street smarts to find great deals that's made him a lot of money. He's done single-family homes, multifamily, and is now investing in mobile home and RV parks. Gabe has a great story to tell that you'll enjoy. Today we have Gabe Peterson with us, who is a active real estate investor and host of the Real Estate Investing Club podcast. Gabe, how are you? I'm doing great, Roger. How are you? I am doing fantastic, and you and I are both, I guess, sadomasochistic enough to both be working on uh, Labor Day. But I guess that that's why they call it labor. <laughs> that's why they call it labor. I guess. Yeah, exactly. We're just uh, we're we're giving the day it's it's due. Yeah, we're gonna get into real estate, which is my favorite subject. So I've been looking forward to this conversation with you. But before we get into kind of how you got into real estate and what you're doing now, I know you're up there in Washington. And and I know you went to UW, which is one of the most beautiful campuses uh, I've ever been on. Uh, My son was considering going there, but uh, didn't have the GPA and and the uh, scores to get in. But nonetheless, are you from that area originally? Yeah, actually, I uh, so I was born. I mean, just north of UW in Redmond, and then uh, grew up until I was probably about twelve out in Des Moines, which is uh, southeast of that or southwest of that. And then um, from then on, I just lived out in Enumclaw, which is south of that. And then I moved to you know Seattle after after college. Um, so I've been here pretty much the whole time. I've done a few international stints, but mostly just here in uh, in Seattle. And were those international stints uh, job related out of school or, or were you just there, you know, just experiencing being overseas or what was that about? One of them was I did a study abroad in, um, in Spain. So I was there for six months. And then uh, the other two, I did a, I volunteered for uh, called Volunteers for Peace um, down in Peru. And then I did another study abroad out in uh, India. So. Other than that, it's been uh, it's been 100% Seattle. I see. You did a study abroad in India as well. Yeah, that sounds like some pretty actually interesting travel. Where where were you in Spain, by the way? The school was in Granada, so it's in the south, uh, kind of on well near the sea, I suppose. But um, it was a couple about an hour away from the sea. Uh, but Granada, um, and then I went out to Ronda a few times, um, just because some some friends from school were there and got it. Renata, I was there just for a couple few days and many, many years ago. And, and basically we were there to visit the Alhambra, which I think is like one of the seven wonders of the world. It was, and it did not disappoint. Yeah, it was, it was a super pretty building. And so out of school, uh, I know you worked in corporate America for seven years. And, and just as a brief description of that, what did you do? So I, uh, let's see, in school, I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, wanted quote unquote i didn't really know what i wanted but <laughs> i was going for a lawyer uh then I, I you know i flew out to the school and checked it out and talked to a bunch of lawyers and decided i didn't want to do that so when i graduated college i didn't know what the hell i was doing and i graduated in 2008 so there was like zero jobs and so a friend of mine was working at accenture which is a consulting firm and you know it sounded 
I didn't, I don't know. I didn't have any other options and it sounded like a good, a good way to go. And so, uh, <laughs> I went and started consulting. Um, and so I did consulting for seven years, did project management, uh, process improvement. And, uh, and yeah, it was, I was the, the corporate guy for, for seven years, did not enjoy it. <laughs> I liked my team, but that was, that was about it. And so then what led you to the, uh, wonderful world of real estate? Yeah, that was a, it was a very circuitous story kind of. So I was in corporate. Um, again, I was like, just did not like it whatsoever. It was the, you know, hour and a half commute each way because I lived pretty far away at the time. Um, and it was just, it was just bad. And so didn't enjoy it, was searching for a way out, like really, really desperately searching. Um, and I started the first thing that I did, you know, my, my first attempt to, uh, to start a business was, um, e-commerce. And so I jumped into e-commerce. I made a few stores. I got one up to about uh, twenty, thirty thousand a month. Um, you know, but pretty slim margins on e-commerce. Um, but you know, I I got down that path, and I realized I didn't actually enjoy it because I was sitting in front of the computer all the time. But I picked up some really good uh, marketing skills because I had to market all the all the products B two C. Uh, digital marketing. And so what were the products that you were doing? Cause that's pretty impressive that you would just pick that up from scratch and figure that out and get to 20 to 30 grand a month. Well, it wasn't scratch. I I'd hired a coach, um, you know, paid him 5,000 and, and he kind of, you know, taught me how to do stuff, but there was a few stores that I started. One of them was uh, white label. So I found a uh, manufacturer and put my, my brand on it. Uh, it was candles was what I started with. Um, and then I did print on demand. So I, um, basically created, hired somebody to create designs and then put them on different products, uh, you know, shirts, mugs, stuff like that. And then I did a, uh, the store that was the most successful that I got up to about, you know, 20, 30,000 was drop shipping. And, uh, that one, that's just basically where you find a product, uh, from Ali or AliExpress, you know, different source or sites like that, put a little bit of on top of it and then, um, basically sell it online, but then have them ship it to the end buyer. So I did that, got pretty good at digital marketing, didn't, but I didn't like e-commerce because again, I was sitting in front of a computer all the time. Um, and so I jumped ship from there and I went and I st- my own little freelance digital marketing, not agency. Uh, it was basically, I just took on clients as me being the marketer. And I took on a, a luxury real estate client. So you was selling luxury real estate out on the East Coast. Um, and that kind of got me really good at marketing for property. Um, and so backing up a bit, a few years prior to this, I had uh, I had bought a triplex with a friend. Um, I read the Rich Dad Poor Dad, which was the book uh, that most people get into real estate with. It's a really good overview if you, if people haven't read it. But I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Real estate made sense to me. You know, kind of it, it flipped on the the light bulb, and I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so I bought a triplex with a friend, and we held it for you know a couple of years and made you know ninety thousand on it, which was we thought was pretty good. And so at this point. I had my my marketing chops up. I was pretty good at marketing. I done. I had a client, um, and so I started marketing for off market properties, and uh, and that's kind of how I got into real estate by uh, marketing for off market properties and doing wholesale deals. So when you say you started marketing for off market properties, were you marketing for for yourself for to to find properties to acquire? Yeah, so I would market for um for prop you know sellers. I did off-market marketing for for sellers using a PPC search and Facebook ad, Bing shirt and Bing search. 
So we did that to, but I wasn't buying them. So it was uh, wholesaling. So I would get it on a contract, add 5,000, 10,000 onto that contract price, and then, you know, find another investor to assign that contract to. So you were flipping them? The contract, yeah. All right. I, I totally get that. And, and you were finding the deals via your marketing that you had learned via PPC, basically PPC and, and other marketing, digital marketing tactics. Yep. Yep. All right. So you, you had GCQ digital marketing and it said on the profile, on your profile, it says June 17th to rather June of 17 to June of 20. Did you dovetail out of that or so what was GCQ? Is that what you were describing? I don't want to call it an agency because I never, I didn't get to the point where I wanted to hire people. And so it was my like freelance thing. Uh, and yeah, I just, I forgot that I had it going. So I just canceled it. I just stopped that. I, I haven't been doing uh, freelancing for, for a while now, but, but yeah, that was the freelance uh, digital marketing that I was doing. Like you said, instead of hiring people and being a quote unquote agency, you would effectively be, I guess, an alternative to somebody, some of these real estate firms having somebody in house. You were that guy, but you just weren't an employee. Yeah, it was a uh, um, 1099 kind of employment. And you know what I'm getting, which is super cool about you, is that you are a, I don't know if you see yourself this way, but I'm really getting you're pretty much a died in the wool entrepreneur because you figured out the e-commerce world. You say it wasn't from scratch, but you know, cause you hired a guy for five grand to teach it to you. But you know, the bottom line, you're smart enough and resourceful enough to, to be successful at that. And the reason you're no longer doing it has nothing to do with how successful you were. You just, it just didn't sate your desire to, you didn't want to be in front of a computer all day. So that's pretty impressive track record. So, and so then you, <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome. So give yourself some credit. And then, of course, you're smart enough to go out and then find property and you had to done it at the right price in order to flip it, presumably, unless you had a, you know, a bigger fool. There's always that out there. But, okay. <laughs> so, so, so then what did you do? And you, and you bought the triplex and you with a friend and, and, you know, you made some money and, and then what? Yeah. So now, uh, so after that, I got into flips. And I did my, uh, so the first triplex that I bought with, uh, with my friend was not, we didn't intend it to be a flip. We did end up flipping it, but we didn't, we wanted to hold, uh, hold on to it. Um, you know, it was a triplex. And so the, the cash flow is pretty good. And we got it at a really good price. We got, I think we got it for 187,000, you know, up here in Seattle, which is pretty good. And then we sold it for like 350 or something like that. We put work into it, so we didn't get all that money, but, um, but yeah, so that was my first, you know, quote unquote flip. But then um, after the wholesaling, I actually went and actually did a flip that I intended to flip. And that was a that was a pretty good story because it was not there were quite a few things that, that happened. If anybody has done a flip or, you know, has experience with flips, they'll understand that, you know, flips are not what they make at make it out to be on HGTV. It, it is quite a different different world. So I bought a house out in uh, I started flipping, bought my first one out in Port Orchard, Washington. A really small house. It was like 960 square feet, I think, under a thousand, really small. But I got it for, I found it online. Again, you know, I was doing marketing and the, the seller wanted 115 for it, which was, uh, in my opinion, it was not a, you know, not, not the right price. And so I told him that's not going to work. And so we went back to the table and I said, uh, how about 85? Because, you know, I did my numbers that that made sense to me. The mistake that I made on this first one was he agreed, but he said, okay, only if you split the profits with me on the back end. You know, I was pretty new at this time. So I said, sure. Um, so I went through with the flip, but the, 
the the cost ended up being a lot more than I'd expected. Um, and then we held it for longer than I expected. So the carrying costs were longer. And so the, the margins were pretty slim. And we ended up on that f- flip. Uh, it was me and, me and a partner. We flipped it and we, I think it was 30,000 or maybe 30, 35,000 that we got out of it. But, you know, we got this, this amount and we were like, okay, I mean, you know, that's not horrible. I, I wish we would have made more, but oh well. But then we remembered, shit, we just, we, we signed the contract with that guy that said we'd split the profits on the end. So we ended up splitting like barely anything. And that was a, that was, that was a good, good life lesson there is when you buy property, just buy it as is. Don't continue it on past the, uh, past the purchase price. So how did you, on the front end of that deal, you had determined it was worth 85 versus 115. What diligence did you do to arrive at that number? So, I mean, general due diligence that you do with any property is first when you get it under contract, well, before you even get it under contract, I look at the market. Um, so I look at market rents. I look at what uh, properties are going for in the area and I get that after repair value. Um, and then I'll just ask the seller, just not not even going to the property and doing a physical inspection, I'll just ask them like, what needs to be done on the property from your perspective? Um, so when I get those two numbers, I'll just kind of get a ballpark idea of what I think will work. So he tells me, you know, it needs a new roof. And so that's, you know, $10,000, $15,000 right there. And so we get the ARV, I d- deduct the costs that, you know, he tells me, um, and this is before we get it under contract, before I send an inspector out there, and then I deduct the the, uh, the the ancillary costs, which will be the buying costs, selling costs, and holding costs. And that kind of puts me at a number that I feel will make sense for purchase. Um, you know, then we get it under contract, and I do my actual due diligence. You know, I walk the property, I get an inspector out there. And if at that point I need to go back to the table, then you go back to the table and say, hey, you know, this other thing came up. I'm going to have to reduce the price by X amount or whatever. But yeah, that's that's the general process that we take to, to get a property under contract and, and close it. In this one, was was he living there or was he a landlord? No, this was a so this was a guy, he uh he was older, um, and he had he had a ton of just these rinky dink kind of like one bed, one bath, nine hundred square foot houses out in that area. Um he owned a it was like a dental implant manufacturing business. So this was Real estate was not his main bread and butter. It was uh, it was kind of his his hobby, I suppose. Interesting. And, and so, and was it was it on the market or no? Nope. So I got this one. Uh, I was marketing online, and he came to me. And so, in this situation, why didn't he market it? Or was it the kind of thing where you know he he saw your marketing and it was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll talk to the guy. Like, was that what happened? Yeah, a lot of people are like that. But the reason most people come to me is that they they have a property that is not going to do well on the market. Um, so when you sell something on the MLS, at, usually you sell it in decent condition. So anybody that comes to me has a, they either have a really shitty house or they're in a really, really shitty situation. Sorry, if, can we swear on your podcast? I didn't even, even ask before, before getting on here. You know, the, the only danger is if you get me swearing, like what <laughs> happens is I either have no swearing or all swearing. And so then every single word I have will be a swear word. So I don't care if you swear or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that, that is one of my talents is I can conduct an entire conversation in all swear words. <laughs> that is impressive considering there aren't that many swear words out there. Oh, that's, that's where I have to say you're wrong. <laughs> 
you go. Uh, um, but yeah, people. So people will come to us. I either have a crappy house or a crappy situation, and we need to resolve one of those problems. And so, you know, their house is usually in really bad shape, and so it wouldn't make sense for them to put it on the market because nobody's going to want to buy it. And so they come to us. You know, they they type it in Google. They're like, real estate investor, or how do I sell my house, or sell my house for cash, or whatever it is. And then, then they come to us. And so that's what happened here. This, uh, the house that he was trying to sell was in really bad shape. Um, it was the, the current tenant had been smoking in there for God knows how long. Uh, there, was a, there were holes in the wall to the outside. The roof was actually in really good shape uh, considering the, the state of the rest of the property. But it was in bad shape. Um, and so that, that's kind of why he came to us. And I'm assuming then from what you had done previously, where you kind of got your, your digital chops down, you're running these Google campaigns yourself and doing all the bidding and, and doing the landing pages, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. All, uh, um, you know, now we do a lot more than just digital marketing. We can do mailers. We do uh, ringless voicemail. Uh, ringless voicemail actually is one of the, one of the most uh, effective uh, marketing strategies that I've kind of found um, as far as cost goes. But we do that. Uh, we all, we still do digital marketing. I mean, uh, Google PPC and Facebook ads, um, but it's it's kind of it's one of the the many tools that we kind of employ now. What's Ringless Voicemail? So that is uh, that usually works only on commercial properties. So we market for uh, mobile home parks and RV parks now. That me and my partnership and Ringless Voicemail is when you know you get a voicemail, but you never heard your phone ring. You're like how did they leave a voicemail? I didn't actually hear it ring. And that's ringless voicemail. It basically, it drops a, a voicemail into your phone without actually ringing you. I generally, I do not like robocalls. I'm not a fan of robocalls. And so this is, this is the way that I feel we can do it while still being, you know, respectful of the person is just send them a voicemail versus, versus uh, actually call them. And so on Facebook, and, and I'm just curious because advertising has been my business all these years, what you're targeting when you're trying to find somebody like looking to you know, sell a property? So Facebook, we only use it for remarketing. Facebook is really good. Um, I have used it for active, you know, for, for front of the funnel kind of leads. Um, and it does work a little bit, but it's, it is difficult to target. Um, so with Facebook, the, the main function that we use is the remarketing function. So when I, when, you know, we'll bring them to our site with our other platforms, um, and our other uh, channels, um, and then they hit the, our website. And then from there, we'll remarket to them on Facebook and Instagram. I understand. And it's super cheap to do that. I, I get that. Great Northwest home buyers. Again, I'm just kind of like, you know, coming from out of the cold, having looked at your profile. What is Great Northwest Home Buyers? Is that basically what we're describing right now? Yep. Great Northwest Home Buyers is the single family um, arm of what I'm doing. And so that's, uh, you know, if you go to um, greatnorthwesthomebuyers.com, that's the site that uh, we've ranked and that I market to for sellers who want to sell their houses here in Washington State. And then we have uh, sellmymobilehomeparks.com, and that is the site that we use to market for uh, mobile home and RV parks uh, nationally. So those are two separate things, which is you know super cool that you're doing this stuff. So with with the first one, so Great Northwest, how many? And you you could kind of break this down however you want, because you know the world obviously with COVID is things are you know good, bad, different, but they're different regardless. So I mean, how many single family homes do you? buy a year. So I'm not buying a uh, single family or um, 
And the only thing that I'm doing for Great No Host Home Buyers now is wholesaling. So unless it's a killer deal, um, I, I I'm not a fan of flipping. Um, flipping, I mean, it is a great way to go if you want to have a job. Um, so you can't just flip a property passively, quote unquote. There is no passive, obviously, but flipping is is definitely a job. Like you have to project manage that to the end, um, and it's not something that I, you know, over the past year or two, I've been less interested in that and so um it's a, la- it's where- a labor intensive pain in the ass yeah exactly you got to babysit the contractors um there's just a lot more that goes into it and there's a lot of risk especially in areas like you know seattle it can, you can easily fuck it up you can i've had i've been i've had the benefit of being in seattle and doing this while we're, we're on an upswing while the market's been on an upswing but you know we're coming into uh, a down down economy soon and that's risky. So for Great Northwest Home Buyers right now, uh, all the marketing is just wholesaling. We'll we'll get good deals and then we'll assign it to our our investing partners that we have. Um, unless you know, sometimes we get a, a you know a charm like a, a duplex or a triplex or some kind of multifamily, um, and that we'll consider. But usually, you know, here in Washington State, it's not going to go for a price that cash flows very very well. So that's what Great Northwest Home Buyers is right now. So basically, you're you're assigning the contracts is what you're doing, correct? Yep. Okay. Yep. So how many of those? How many of those do you do a year? Right now, we're at about one a month. Um, and so this this assignment usually goes here in Seattle. It's a lot bigger. And so right now, we're at about one to two a month. So we've we've gone down for that one because we're focused more on uh, closing things and, and um, stabilizing them. So we have a uh, we're closing on a park, a mobile home park, right outside. George, Washington right now. Um, and then we have two parks under contract in Texas. Um, one is 100 pads. One of them is 93 uh, in Arkansas. Um, and then we have two uh, multifamily that I'm looking at out in um, Cincinnati, a 12 unit and a six unit that we're, uh, we're looking to take down. Very interesting. So to back up for a minute, and again, I mean, I just love this stuff and, and it's so exciting. It's like just listening to you makes me want to do it. But so on the uh, the wholesaling, what's a typical, I won't ask the percent on the spread, but how much do you typically make on a, on a house that you're assigning? 10 to 15. 10 to 15. And are you doing this with a partner? Yeah. Yep. All right. So that kind of closes the loop there. That's super cool. When you talk about these two mobile home parks, when you talk about the multifamilies in Cincinnati, where yours truly went to college, and I don't want (laughs) you to feel intimidated by my intellect, but I graduated in communications with a 2.08 GPA. Um, I'm impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I I wasn't sober, so, you know, that would be a, a detail. Uh, <laughs> and so, because it, it back then the University of Cincinnati was not a great school. I took an incredibly easy major and did incredibly poorly at that at that major. Um, <laughs> but so now, are these deals? So the multi-home parks are those deals that you're going to flip? Or are you going to be owner operators on those? What's this the thinking there? Yeah. So the park out in, in George, in uh, here in Washington, we're going to take for ourselves. Um, it has. 38 total total pads in the park city water city sewer so it's it's uh, pretty good that way um 26 of the current 38 pads 
have all utilities. So 26 are operating, they have tenants, they have mobile homes in them or RVs. And then the remainder have one utility on them. So plan is we're, we're buying it. Um, you know, it's going to cash flow on purchase, but then we're going to add the, the missing utility to the remainder of the pads, bring it up to 38. Then there's an adjoining 2.5 acres on the property uh, that we're also going to get. And we've already spoken with the, you know, the city and they said that we would be able to add an additional expansion um, of 40 units on that spot. So the long-term plan is buy it, rent it at the 26 that we have right now. So it's cash flowing, bring the utilities in for the remainder, get it up to 38 and then do development uh, and add an additional 40 pads in the, the back 2.5 acres. How much did you pay for it? Uh, 450. Really? That's all? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good deal. The, the interest uh, story is kind of cool for the back, um, the back story. Again, it was, uh, we got it on digital marketing. So it was through ads. The owner is a really big time potato farmer out here in Washington state. Like he, I guess he just kills it with potatoes. He's just like, just knocking it down left and right. But a while ago, I don't know how long ago, long time ago, he basically bought the city of George. So he bought all the land in the city of George in order to turn it into a themed city, a themed like, you know, George, he called it George Washington because it was going to be like a themed revolutionary style city. Uh, (laughs) He got, he got into the development of that and, you know, he realized he, this, you know, he's a potato farmer. He's not a developer. And so he just stopped, but he still owned this entire city. You know, then fast forwarding to today, he's, he was trying to sell everything, you know, the entire city in one fell swoop, couldn't sell it. And then I guess he saw our ad and, uh, and decided to sell just this mobile home park to us. And so we, we got it. We, we said no to the city. We buy, we did buy the mobile home park, but the great thing is he did uh, seller financing with us. And so, um, we got it for 450, um, seller financed. So we put 80,000 down and he seller financed the rest at uh, 4.25% interest for a five year balloon. And, uh, and yeah. What is your cash on cash on the front end look like? On the front end? I actually don't know. I just remember. It is cash flowing, and that's really all that we care about because the, the back end is really what we cared about. It was about, I think it was 26% um, yield on cost. And so it's pretty good. What a great deal for you. And it sounds like that's going to be just a mega home run. I mean, and that's an asset class that, you know, obviously is going to do well uh, for the foreseeable future. And it, it, you know, I'm already telling you what you know better than me, but that asset class, when things really go upside down in our country, will do better than any other real estate asset class that I could even think of. So what about the other one? That sounds like really cool. Yeah. So Texas and Arkansas are too big for us. We decided we got into due diligence. Um, both of them are, they require quite a bit of CapEx up front. And so Texas, uh, you know, the city is went to the seller and they're like, you have overhead electrical, we want you to bring it underground. That's a huge, huge task. It's like $300,000 just for that. Um, so the seller looked to sell. We got into that and we realized too much for us. So we're, we are wholesaling that one. And we're also wholesaling, wholesaling Arkansas because the all of the they're all park-owned homes. And so the seller owns all of the, the actual homes in the, in the park, which is bad. When you're talking about mobile homes, mobile home parks. Because then you're collecting rent, you know, from people that only have two or three teeth. And, and, that's, <laughs> and, that, and by the way, that's in the whole family. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's bad mostly because then that one of the reasons why mobile home parks are so um, so attractive is that you don't have structures to maintain. So you know, I have a duplex here in Auburn, and you know things go bad on it, like the windows go out. I have to re- repair the toilets. I have to fix the pipes every once in a while. I have to put a roof on it, things like that. But with mobile home parks, really all you're renting out is the infrastructure. You're renting out, you know, water, sewer, um, electrical and, uh, and the community. And so when you buy a park that has all park owned homes, now you have, you know, 93 headaches, like 93 mobile homes that you have to maintain. And that's not, you know, when you're talking about the business model of a mobile home park, that's not, that's not the business model. And so that is a that's a hard one because whoever buys it is um it's a good deal but it's a lot of work because you got to you have to either fix all of the the mobile homes that are in there or just figure out a way to sell them to the either the current tenants or just trash them Please. so that uh all of that started recently we haven't launched any of that yet um so it wasn't until recently that I felt that I had enough experience to start you know telling people how to do real estate and how they can do real estate and so we are we are soon to be launching both the course and the mentorship program um we haven't launched it yet but you know i have all the all the curriculum um and everything ready but we haven't launched it yet so it's not active so if you were to go there and sign up um nothing would happen <laughs> okay i'm like a coin operated guy man i'm like all about money except for this because i make no money doing this this would be an exception but i'm a little bit older than you actually i'm a lot older than you and so i've already been like kind of at the, the other end of my career but here's the devil's advocate question why don't you just continue to do the real estate deals you're doing instead of the mentoring stuff, because a lot of times, like there's so, as you know, there's so many guys that are real estate mentors. And one cynical view is, you know, gosh, it were so easy. Why, why aren't they just doing it themselves if they're making so much money? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, I I am still doing it. Um, but the I mean, why mentor is just mostly because I I want to. I know what real estate can do for for you financially. Um, and just as, as a business in, in itself, if you just look at as, you know, as an entrepreneur, what kind of business do you want to set up? I like real estate as a business. I just want the opportunity to kind of teach people. Um, I, I like teaching. I like that, that process. And so it's not really a, an ROI play for me. It's more just getting deeper into my craft, you know, getting further into what it is that I'm doing and. I don't know. There's no strategic play, if you will, um, but more just kind of me being further inundated and further furthering the career or my 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 purpose. I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it, but just you know, being further into the, my real estate career. You know what? I believe you. The reason I believe you is a gut sense I have in our conversation, but also knowing what you did, and I forget that what it was, but what you did in Peru. Then I remember the word peace. It was what was it called again? Volunteers for peace. Yeah, uh, yeah, volunteers for peace. I get that. That's the kind of guy you are. So that is cool. So I'm going to bring up one detail just because I'm curious from the Cincinnati multifamily. So you've got, they're in contract or they're closed? It's a 12 and a six. I remember that. Yeah, they're both in contract. So I'm doing a 1031 exchange, you know, living in Seattle. 
owning property. I do the lucky six or whatever you want to call it. I got lucky. Um, so I have a lot of equity. And so I am going to be selling uh, my duplex here and rolling that through 1031 into a bigger property out in Cincinnati. Cincinnati, you know, under the Great Lakes, it's really great markets that, for cash flow. You know, the, the purchase price for, okay, so just to bring it down to numbers, the Cincinnati property, the six, sixplex, the six unit, uh, I had that under contract for $250,000. And the 12 unit I have under contract for $516,000. Now, I mean, looking at the, the duplex that I'm selling should sell for $525,000. And that's, I mean, if you're just looking at, if you think about those two comparisons, it's just absurd. So doing the 1031, bringing it over to Cincinnati and, uh, and, you know, getting a bigger, bigger unit for, for what I got. Are you going to go there? Yep. Yep. Going to fly out there. I, we actually, I just signed the papers for the six unit this morning. So next step is to get a flight, get an inspector and get out there. Are the two properties near one another? Uh, yes, they are. Yeah, that is the disadvantages. I don't, this is my first time buying a multifamily outside of Washington State. It is a new experience for me and I'm, I'm kind of excited because I've never, you know, Washington is not the best when it comes to rentals and that's my business. That's what I, what's it, how I want to move forward. The numbers, I mean, obviously, you, if you have enough money, you can you can make it work. But the numbers really don't work out for most investors here, um, just because it's so goddamn expensive for housing. And so I, I'm pretty excited to go out there in uh, in Cincinnati because there is a lot more potential out in the Midwest um, and right right under the Great Lakes for actual rentals and for running that type of business. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited. And, and were those uh, off market deals as well that you brought in through your marketing? These were not, no. I uh, I got them on LoopNet. Okay. And then do you already have a property manager that you've engaged in a dialogue with or you kind of like just want to solidify the deal first? Or So yeah, I have a 30 days due diligence period. So that uh, that is all going to be handled during the due diligence period. I just had to ask the question because uh, I've got, we'll talk afterwards, but I've got money to deploy and I'm considering all different kinds of things. And uh, as I said, before we started, I've made, I should write a book on like a hundred things you shouldn't do in real estate <laughs> that are just ridiculous. I'm so embarrassed. But anyway, so now you're getting into the mobile home park business and you're going to start mentoring and you're a phenomenal marketer. And I would gather you're going to be a great mentor and a great teacher. And, you know, gosh, you're a smart guy. You figure a lot of stuff out. I'm thinking uh, what the heck else I can ask you, but I don't know if I have um, any other questions. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. So uh, this has been fantastic and uh, I wish you continued good luck. I have no doubt in my mind at all you are going to continue to be incredibly successful. And so this has been a great conversation, Gabe. Well, yeah, I, uh, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the compliment and uh, best of luck to this podcast. It sounds like you got, I, I like your interview style because it is very uh, conversational. So I appreciate, uh, appreciate being here. Yep, you bet. So I'll talk to you soon. Street Smart Success.